Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Tuesdays for Tomorrow as we continue in on, on our new 25 episode series entitled Trench. We'll be discussing subjects related to the First World War. I have entitled this third episode, or should I say this new episode, The Beginning on the Eve of War. Now that we've looked at the two opposing forces and their leaders and their military forces, the big question remains when it comes to the First World War. What did the European continent look like before the war broke out during the autumn of 1914? And so, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us tonight as we look at the trench, the beginning, on the eve of war. It has been said that no one knows when the first war had actually started, but what we do know is that it did start in the autumn season during the year 1914. As you all may recall from the previous episodes of this new series about World War One, we've looked at the the main rulers of the Allies and the Central Powers. What we do know is back then in the in the early 20th century of the 1910s decade, most European nations back then were dominated or ruled by various monarchies. Some that were actually were related to a single monarch, such as the Germans, the Russians, and the Spanish elsewhere were all supposedly relatives or cousins of the British monarch back in the previous century of the 19th century, an English queen by the name of Victoria, the last ruler of the Hanover dynasty. But the British monarch, when the war broke out in 1914, was George V, the ruling monarch of the United Kingdom and the founder of the current British ruling family of the Windsor dynasty. It was all these very, should we say, contributing and combined factors of both sides, both the Allies and the Central Powers, that what would happen next would sincerely change the European continent and those nations whose monarchies dominated the European continent, who also had held various overseas colonies on planet Earth back then in 1914 such as the Brits, the Germans, the French, and the Russians, whose territory covered both Europe and Asia, as well as elsewhere. When the war started in the autumn of that year, it started with a German officer's brilliant plan. It was called Schlieffen. The chief Schlieffen plan had called for the German massive German army, 
with its 100 million troops that were deploying from Germany onto the Western Front to sweep over neutral Belgium and to encircle both the British and the French armies and thus try to capture Paris. A feat later, many years later, proven very successful with the help of mechanized forces but from both ground and air during the early years of the Second World War in 1940. But by then, in the, ni- in the early 1940s during the Second World War, the Germans then were executing several plans called Case Yellow and Case Red which was actually a variation of this plan that was first exercised and executed in 1914. But no, ladies and gentlemen, back then in 1914, the German Blitzkrieg did not exist, and neither did Panzers and Stuka dive bombers. All the Imperial German armies back then to truly execute the Schlieffen plan was their troops and their artillery. When when the first British and French armies were setting up their defensive lines in Western Europe during that time, some of the British uh, soldiers by then who had first deployed were known as the British Expeditionary Force or the BEF, that was led at the time by a man named Sir John French. Since Britain back then in those days had relied on all-volunteer army regiments, these first deployed British soldiers that actually saw combat from the autumn to winter of 1914 had never even seen this kind of combat on a European continental scale. The French, on the other hand, being led by a man named Joseph Jabra, was a more hardly seasoned European military force who had, who somewhat had um, great combat experience combating the Germans ever since they took them on and fought them in the Franco-Prussian War during the 1800s of the 19th century. However, there was one thing that would actually would stop the Imperial German Army from invading Western Europe back then in 1914, and that was the country of Belgium. The country of Belgium, with its own monarchy, its very sizable but somewhat experienced military force, would have instead try to save themselves or stay neutral. Instead, ladies and gentlemen, they all chose to fight. And sorely, they were massively defeated, in a way. All because the Imperial Germans back then, in order to execute their Schlieffen plan to quickly overwhelm and defeat the Allied forces in Western Europe would have to go through Belgium 
as before mentioned in this episode. But the Germans in this case had a secret weapon. And that secret weapon was Big Bertha. At that time, it was the world's most tallest, heaviest, and loudest German army artillery cannon that could quickly pulverize and destroy a fortified or dugout military fortification in those days. It often moved by railings by train and when it was set up it would often unleash its very devastating firepower among the Allied forces then during some of the early battles. It was often during this time that that neutral Belgium with its sizable but much smaller force, somewhat inexperienced, had completely hit themselves to greatly defend their great peaceful loving country. But when the Imperial Germans dressed up in their pickle halva spiked helmets and their, and their many years of actual combat experience fighting previous wars until then in 1914, one day revealed their tallest and heaviest can known as Big Bertha, it all suddenly fell apart for the, ger- for the jury-rigged Belgium army when Big Bertha's massive artillery shells somewhat smashed through their, should we say, metal-encased fortifications that were at one time thought in those days to withstand any kind of German artillery or head-on attack, thus proven wrong. It was often during those days, in the autumn to winter of 1914, when the first battles of the First World War had broken out, one battle stood out, and that was the Battle Battle of Marne. This was the battle in which Sir John French and his British Expeditionary Force, or BEF, made up of, of an all-volunteer army regiment, including those who have worn kilts, such as the Scottish, Irish, and some Welsh regiments, including all, an old English army regiment that first saw a battle against the Germans, along with their French allies, seasoned, hardened, battle-weary veterans who have who had experience in fighting against the Germans ever since they took them on in the Fran- Franco-Prussian War of the 19th century during the latter to late 1800s. It was from here, ladies and gentlemen, that during the Battle of the Marne, these two armies that would ultimately take, take on the massive combat-ready armies of Imperial Germany the Kaiser's best troops and keep them at bay after, should we say, greatly pulverizing, bombarding, and assaulting the, co- the country of Belgium at the time. Seeing battles in Arez, especially throughout the uh, Ardennes Forest, all the way up to the Marne River 
It was also during those times that that would suddenly lead to the foundation and a greater establishment of trench warfare. But till then, it was from this, ladies and gentlemen, that this was the first armed militarily confrontation that first took place when the First World War broke out between the two opposing forces. It was from there that was sincerely set off an entire series of events that would greatly affect not just the European continent, but through the whole world in the many years to come during that decade in the 1910s. And so, ladies and gentlemen, this ends this episode for The Trench, which is my 25-episode series about the First World War here, or should I say, broadcasted to you live here on Tuesdays for Tomorrow. I'll bid you all good night. May God bless all of us, our children, especially our planet. And remember, we want you to think, not panic. First of all, I would like to thank everyone who has supported me on this public speaking and podcasting endeavor live here on Spotify, Spotify for podcasters, and whatever you're hearing, this podcast dubbed Tuesdays for Tomorrow, and my own voice on any kind of social media platform that you're hearing my voice from, whether it be Facebook, X, formerly known as Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or any other kind of podcast services such as Apple, Google, or iHeartRadio, or any other kind of social media platform out there on the internet. If you just joined this, then we sincerely welcome you all to Tuesdays for Tomorrow, and we hope you enjoy this enjoy this episode and may have my previous episode that you might find to your liking. If you're under 18 or a kid um, who has joined me or has heard my voice live on any other social media website besides this besides this Spotify and Spotify for Podcasters episode and you're underage, then we sincerely welcome you too, but we sincerely do hope that you get permission to if you want to comment or rate my my uh, audio episodes or rate the entire show. However, if you are using this series, The Trench, or Devalue Investigates as for educational purposes, then you all have my permission to. Just give me credit. Because if you're using this to learn something, then we then here on Tuesdays for Tomorrow, then we sincerely don't mind. Don't mind using this program for educational purposes as well as public speaking purposes and very constructive and polite critique of. However, since if you are going to use Tuesdays for Tomorrow or any of my mini-series that I put in here, here live on my podcast, then... We sincerely urge you all to observe the current copyright laws and hopefully I will name as the sole creator of this podcast in which I have created. And so, we bid you all good night 
and we will see you again next time, hopefully tomorrow night, here on Tuesdays for Tomorrow. Thank you, everyone, and good night.